Hello, and welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show, a podcast to help you unlock tremendous growth for your app. My name is Shamant Rao. I'm the CEO of the boutique growth marketing firm, Rocketship HQ, and host of the podcast, Mobile User Acquisition Show. In each episode, we feature experts in the field of mobile growth and discuss strategies, tips, and pointers from the leading edge of mobile growth marketing. By the end of each episode, you will have gained actionable and tactical insights that will help you make more informed decisions in your own work around growth. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is produced by Meryl Vincent, Content Marketing Manager at Rocketship HQ. Our guest today is Hannah Parvaz, co-founder at Aperture, a mobile-focused agency based in London. Previously, Hannah worked at Uptime as the head of marketing and also at Curio as the head of growth. In today's episode, we talk about the importance of qualitative research when planning out your marketing strategy. Hannah talks about the impact of having real conversations with your users and how these conversations have helped her and her team come up with insights that they would never have had otherwise. She gives some great examples of how these insights translated into campaigns and ads that drove tremendous performance. For a very structured look at all things qualitative research, I'm excited to present this episode to you today. I'm very excited to welcome Hannah Parvaz to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. Hannah, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Really glad to be here. Nice to see you again. Yeah, I'm yeah. very, very happy to, have, to be here. Excellent. Yeah, welcome, welcome again. You know, very much excited to have you on this show, especially as you're going to talk about you know, aspects of marketing that we haven't really dwelled on too much, but can be super, super critical, right? And I think I particularly like that you have a very structured approach to looking at what can sometimes seem to be fuzzy, qualitative aspects of marketing, which is absolutely something I like about how you approach these things. So let's dive in, right? So... You know, to start at the beginning, how did you first understand how valuable customer feedback can be? It's a great question. And I mean, customer feedback is one of the most valuable things that you can have as a business and building the customer relationships as a whole is one of the most valuable things that you can do. I mean, for me, it might sound obvious, <laughs> but it was always kind of instinctual for me to ask customers what they think about a product. So when I was working with my first mobile app that I worked with about eight, nine years ago now called Dice, it's a live music recommendation tool and ticketing app. I looked after the marketing and so therefore I looked after talking to the customers. I hadn't exactly got everything figured out then like I do now, but what I knew was that talking to customers and finding out what they thought was really important. So I used to bring people in and I would invite people in. I'm based in London and the app was based in London at the beginning. So I would invite people in, order pizza, have a big yeah. group, you know, sit around, drink some beers, chat about their experiences and who they are. And we'd, you know, write notes, figure things out, understand exactly why they use the product, how we should be talking about it and so on. But it wasn't really until I joined the next company that I worked at, which was a nightlife app called Dusk where we went through the accelerator 500 startups that I really began to understand actually more of the kind of methodology behind these things and that 
exact types of questions that we should be asking. So, yeah. you know, like don't ask leading questions and things like this that you yeah. might not necessarily even know what a leading question is when you kind of get yeah. started with customer feedback. Sure, sure, sure. Right. And, you know, when you talk to folks about, hey, qualitative research, one of the sticking points, at least that I have seen is, okay, we do all of this qualitative research, so what, right? So can you share examples of how you've been able to translate a lot of these qualitative, this qualitative research into messaging copy or what, or any other outcomes you may have come up with? Absolutely. I've got a lot of examples, but I've got one of my favorite ones that I'd love to share with you. So a couple of years ago, I was working with an audio journalism app called Curio. And basically what they do is they take pieces of content and then narrate them with or humans narrate them so you can so you can listen to articles and when I joined they had some taglines flying around but whenever we'd been using them in ads we just weren't getting really kind of positive engagement they weren't resonating very well with people as a whole and so I started speaking to some of the customers and I was asking them you know why do you use this product and they were saying you know I'm really busy and I want to keep learning things while I'm on the go and I said okay why are you busy Oh, I'm working lots, you know, I'm always on the go. I'm, I've only got time to listen on my commute. And, and I, I said, okay, well, why do, you, why do you want to learn? Like, if you're always so busy and your mind is so occupied, why do you want to learn while, while you've got this like little bit of mental space? And they started telling me all of these stories, like, you know, oh, I go around to my mom's house and her partner, you know, is always talking about stuff and I just don't understand what he's talking about he's always so up to date so you know I'm trying to understand the world a bit better so that I can talk to him and I you know or they or they'd be saying you know I'm a lecturer at a university and my students again are, are, are talking about stuff and I need to stay up to date with them so that I can you know be respected and I said I would ask them why is that important for you like why is it important to talk to this person or you know and they'd say, you know, I want to have better conversations. And I'd say, why, why is that important for you? Why do you want to have better conversations? And time and time again, what would come up is that they'd keep saying this word seem. And they'd keep saying, I want to see more interesting. And to me, that really stood out. It wasn't about being more interesting or becoming more educated. It was like this ego, like it, they really wanted to tie this to their ego. And like they wanted to seem more interesting to these people around them so that they could kind of get more social kudos and so on. So after this, we started kind of playing around with messaging around that. And ultimately we ended up with this line of copy that said, become the most interesting person in the room. And we started then running this line of copy on lots of different ads. And well, we, we wrote that line of copy in 20 kind of, 17 18 ish and it still hasn't saturated now it's scaled you know worldwide the company you know it's it's still doing amazingly it resonates with pretty much every geography definitely with uk us audiences and it really ties into like that deep intrinsic need that people have to kind of prove themselves so yeah. that's that's my favorite example that yeah. I have at the moment yeah and that's impressive i think it's what's also impressive is just your persistence and keeping on asking why and keeping on going deeper, because I think it's easy to settle for the surface level answer, which is, you know, I want to have conversations with my mom's partner, which clearly wouldn't make the great ad copy. <laughs> but, uh, 
Yeah, I like to call that like looking for the why beneath the why. I'm yeah. sure everyone's heard of the five whys, but you know, yeah. when we're looking for the why beneath the why, at some point it stops. Yeah. Like, you know, but why? Why yeah. is that? And it's important to just keep on asking exactly. how how things how things exactly. came to be. Yeah, yeah. That what's the underlying cause, the root cause, if you will, right? Yeah, exactly. And is there a specific structure you use for? Some of these conversations i know you said you brought people in and to have like a pizza so is there like a specific structure to these conversations can you share what you find the most valuable good question so i don't really do the pizza thing anymore because one thing i found that is whenever you have lots of people together in a group what happens is people don't really feel like they can be as honest as they want to be sure. sometimes or as honest as possible so what happens is, you know, someone will follow suit of someone else. So what I do now is I have one-on-one conversations or, or me with another member of the team with one customer. And what we do is we just go in there. I'd like to, you know, reframe these conversations away from being interviews to being conversations. And I always try and use the word conversations rather than interviews because it puts you in a different mindset going into the conversation, you know, and it depends what the purpose of why I'm speaking to the customers as well. Like, am I trying to find out how they use the product or am I trying to find out who they are, like who they are deep down inside? Like what are their fears, their anxieties, their hopes and their dreams? And you have to go in with different mindsets based on all of these different things. But ultimately we follow, you know, the same kind of process. Um, And one of those most important things is that I always say, take quotes, not notes. So Mm -hmm. the reason I say that is because it's really important for us to write down exactly what the customers say, rather than just taking notes of what we think they mean. Sometimes when we say like, sometimes we put our own kind of spin on things and it's really important for us to be able to kind of look back at them, but look back at these conversations objectively and say, okay, you know, with a different lens now I can look at what they're saying, you know in a different way and if you're just Mm -hmm. taking notes on that you won't necessarily be able to do that we should also where possible be able to record the conversations themselves too so that we can transcribe them later or just listen to the the enunciation and how people are speaking through things and ultimately something really important for me when we're going through these conversations is understanding the language that customers use So you're going to start seeing patterns throughout where people who are brand new to the product are going to use specific words and phrases. And we want to build out word banks of words they use and phrases they use right at the beginning and words they and phrases they use when they're, you know, they've just been using it for a couple of weeks and then a couple of years and how they communicate with us and how they describe the brand and the product and so on and the exact words they're using, because then we can basically mirror that back to them through the app or through the product or through the copy that we're using or through even the marketing campaigns, like I mentioned before. And I think that's a very important call out. You know, like you said, you take quotes, not notes. It's just very (laughs) easy to have your preconceived notion of what they may be meaning to say rather than what they actually say. And I'm curious if you there are any examples that come to mind exact language or exact language patterns that you took away maybe like you said here at the beginning stages of the customer journey or the later stages of the customer journey that maybe wasn't so obvious 
Yeah, I mean, there's loads of examples. One thing that comes to mind immediately is with a company I was just working with for a year called Outtime. They basically take books, courses, documentaries, and then condense them down into five minutes. So what we call those summaries, essentially, those five-minute summaries internally and externally too, is knowledge hacks. But whenever we speak to customers right at the beginning and we say knowledge hacks to them, they do not know what that means. So we started to listen out for that, like, you know, hearing how they're describing it. And so we don't use that phrase with them right at the beginning. We start to, you know, they see it in the app and as they become more and more familiar with it, we introduce that word throughout. So we put it then into newsletters and pieces of comms and things like that. But we don't, for example, use it in our paid ads as much as we could have otherwise, because people will just see that and say, what's a knowledge hack? I don't understand what that is coming in. So Another thing that we did with that is if when you download the app, actually you get a tool tip, which says, you know, it, it highlights a knowledge hack and then says, this is a five minute summary, you know, so people are kind of educated throughout the process of what that could be. Yeah, hundred percent, right? If, if you have internal language or jargon, people don't always get it if they're outside of where you are. Exactly. All right, it's interesting because I noticed something very similar managing a fully remote team our team's fully remote and when Mm. we onboard new folks they're like here's a resource or here's a document and we realized it's important to have very very clear terminology on what we mean when i say document it means it has a very specific connotation right that's i was going to say that's super important to have internal shared language too sometimes you know companies I go and talk to will have be I'll talk to the CEO and then I'll talk to the marketer and then I'll talk to the product person and they're all using different words for the same thing and I actually work with lots of companies on implementing a growth process and aligning companies as a whole around these internal shared bits of language so that you know it, it helps a lot with you know internal politics and things like this where some people don't like specific words so we just try and rejig everything so everyone can use the same mindset and the same processes and the same language yeah 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 hundred percent hundred percent right and you know we talked about this but you don't always get to have one-on-one conversations our focus groups are are able to listen to folks live so sometimes you you just have testimonials or pre-recorded quotes if you will or reviews or what have you in these cases, how does your approach differ in terms of your being able to glean or distill insights out of these? Well, not all quotes or testimonials were created equal, first of all. So, yeah. you know, some of these are going to come through. You're going to get an app review that just says good app. <laughs> and you can't really do much with that. But sometimes you're going to get some reviews coming through and they're going to be unbelievable gold mines for copy and for content and things like this. So I said the word goldmine there because I must have Freudianly thought of a review that we had at Curio, which someone said, this is a real goldmine for learning. And so we took that quote actually and used it in our ad copy and it performed super, super well. So some of the things, again, we're looking for words and phrases that people really use that we might not have otherwise thought of ourselves. Another thing that I look for when I'm looking at testimonials or reviews or, you know, any piece of kind of written content is an opportunity to talk to that person. And one review came through for Uptime, actually, from someone saying that she has a chronic 
illness. They had a chronic illness and they're using the app because they can only concentrate for short periods of time. And, you know, they physically aren't able to hold up books. And so we just replied on the app store saying, are you available for a quick call? You know, we'd love to chat with you a bit more. And they were, you know, we managed to have a call with them and get so many interesting stories from them and understand a whole new, you know, a whole new use case and a whole new piece of positioning which we were then able to you know share with the world which was really amazing like we we love to find out these stories from people too and that's what makes me so passionate about working with these kinds of products you know being able to positively impact people and find out how exactly it's impacting them yeah 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 and there's no way you would find it find that out if you wouldn't be talking to that exactly absolutely makes sense but and you know something else i think about is with a lot of these qualitative research-based insights that translate into ads, I can absolutely see how that they would resonate with humans, right? That, that would, this would resonate with consumers. Sometimes I wonder if those would necessarily resonate with algorithms. So, you know, just to give a concrete example, let's just say there's a fake ad or an overly sexualized ad, and that's obviously on one end of the spectrum, those tend to get a lot of clicks right? They're very clickbaity. It doesn't always have to be that extreme. Sometimes I've seen ads that are like, aha, these are Elon Musk's favorite books. And I don't think <laughs> if you would ask, I think that's Blinkist, I could, be, I could be wrong, but they're like, you know, these are Elon Musk's favorite books. I don't think if you survey a customer, they would say, I would like to see Elon's favorite books. They, I don't, I, I could, again, I'm imagining, I don't think that would be the case, right? So if you have Elon's favorite books, or an overly sexualized ad versus something that's actually based on research, I would imagine the algorithm would favor either Elon's favorite books or the overly sexualized ad. And some marketers would just say, look, just just because the algorithm favors that, the prices are just going to be so low, it might just make sense to run the clickbait Mm -hmm. ad rather than anything that makes sense. How do you think about that? It's a really good question. And it's one that, you know, I've thought about and spent a lot of time talking to branding people about too, because a lot of the time it can be tempting to, you know, use these kind of sex sells ads or to use fake things that are like honey, honey pots to people. But what you have to think about is what are you optimizing for as well? And are you optimizing for that click? Because at times, yeah, of course, one of these ads might get better clicks, but is that relevant with your app store listing, for example? Is it is it congruent with the journey as a whole? And what you're going to see is that if these ads that you're running aren't, you know, performing better post-click, that actually the algorithm won't favor them in the end. So you might find that, you know, you're getting really high click-through rate, you're getting 4% click-through rate on this ad or something, but then no one's installing. It's not working or no one is, or people are installing, but then they're not signing up or making a purchase. The algorithm will, if you're optimizing for purchase, it will then go, okay, this isn't successful for this, you know, conversion metric depreciate. And, you know, you'll see sometimes that the highest click through rate ads aren't the ones which are delivering you the best CPAs or anything like that. So I think as well as that, you have to think about the brand as a whole and you might be getting really good, you know, top of funnel events or even further down the funnel events for a short period of time. But how is that going to impact the brand? And 
what you don't want to do is kind of tie your brand to something like that where it cheapens it or it misconstrues what people's opinions of it are whenever you know it might cost you a little bit more in the long run for that install or for that purchase but in 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 the short run sorry but in the long run those costs those costs do come down when people start to understand your brand message a bit more yeah 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 and i'm reminded of somebody i was talking to they're talking about i think the daily fantasy sports space in the us and they were like there's just a lot of advertising and everybody hates the brand you know it's again more common than you would think and again i'm not saying necessarily that the elon musk folks if people hate necessarily hate that that can be polarizing <laughs> but i don't have an opinion but certainly and this is definitely something i've seen from somebody who worked on the inside of the daily fantasy space and that's also just because it's a very monetary thing for mm-hmm. them as well right? so I, think i think that elon musk example is a really great example from blinkist actually because what blinkist do is that they don't usually actually run ads to their app store they spend a lot of time doing content marketing and so what they do is they direct a lot of people to their website and then they kind of pixel everyone or ta- or tag everyone and then they remarket to the people so what they're doing is like looking at a holistic approach to the funnel and so saying maybe we're getting really cheap clicks maybe we're not expecting all of these people to convert obviously or a lot of them to convert but we're getting them in we're getting them familiar with the brand and then taking it from there so it is a longer term play and it is also kind of familiarizing people with the type of content that they have their magazine is fantastic like the blinkers magazine so yeah. you know they're yeah. getting people in there and then trying to get people to hang out and familiarize themselves too yeah. which is yeah. brilliant yeah. sure right and that content piece is congruent with the ad itself exactly uh, right and like an app store which may not actually feature elon that landing page would actually have elon that exactly. elon exactly yeah yeah it can be definitely a more interesting route to go down sometimes you know sending people to content and seeing what happens then yeah. you know and or a landing page which deep but then the landing page obviously goes to the app store which might be generic but yeah. i think it's interesting when we think about custom product pages and the opportunities exactly. that they give us as well for being able right. to kind of preen that journey a little bit more yeah i was going to say i was going to find out a custom product page we just it's just come to facebook this week so i know I, finally yeah. <laughs> about time about time we yeah, we're still testing I, i don't know if the algorithms really playing nice yet but we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. a bit hana right so when you're proposing a lot of these qualitative tests and research do you find resistance to getting informal buy-in from teams because oftentimes a lot of teams are product focused tech focused they're not necessarily wanting to go out and talk or do user research in the kind of extensive way that you are talking about so a do you find this sort of resistance how do you typically address these reservations yeah the short answer is yes there's very often to always resistance on this kind of thing right at the beginning because you're going into teams you know you're you might be joining a company or you might be consulting with a company and you're going to teams that you know think that they're doing everything right but ultimately they've come to you because they have a problem to solve and maybe you're able to help them with that and a big resistance is that they think you know we already know our customers we know exactly what they think yeah. we know exactly what they want you yeah. know why would we do more research when we already know but the thing is people change the world changes people's needs change people's wants change people's lives change over time and an example of this is 
with Curio again, the audio journalism app, we had been doing all of our advertising based on commuting. But then what happened in 2020, everyone stopped commuting. And what happens then? You know, you're running all these ads about commuting and escalators and so on, and it doesn't resonate with people anymore. So we had to speak to people, understand like where they were in their minds, you know, what what were they saying and some of the things that they were saying was like using this app you know helps me feel like I can explore the world from my couch and then that helped us to then you know reformat some of our creatives redo some of our ads and actually some of the ads that we then ran were you know at home like I literally filmed my my housemate okay (laughs) on on his phone eating pasta and so on and and we use these kind of things that were like more home style that were resonating more with people then during that time period because you know because of these conversations that we were having so how we how we address these reservations really is just through saying you know give it a go you know take a shot here are some previous examples this is these are other companies that we're we've we've seen success with and another thing to note is that of course there's always going to be resistance when you're trying to change people's mindsets but mm-hmm. whenever we're thinking of things from a growth approach we think about how marketing rolls into growth and product rolls into growth and the business as a whole rolls into growth and growth is a team sport it's no one's it's not one person's job it's everyone's job to grow the business yeah. and so something that we do as well or I like to do is actually have people from all different teams come into the calls so we say you know CTO, you come into some calls, developer, you come in, customer service, you come in, you know, CEO, you come in and have them really, you know, engross themselves in those conversations and see how powerful they are. Because once you've kind of started to get into that process and you see the information that you can extract, there's nothing else like it. Yeah, 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 certainly. And you've certainly given examples of what that could look like. And Exactly. As you said, that can be a gold mine of insights and that you hadn't known before. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Hannah, I know we are coming up on time. This is perhaps a good place for us to start to wrap up. But before we do that, can you tell folks how they can find out more about you and everything you do? Absolutely. I'm Hannah. Hannah Parvaz. I am a co-founder of a mobile mobile focused a growth agency called Aperture. And yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from anyone who's watching this or if you need any help with anything. So you can just find me on LinkedIn or email me hannah at aperture.london. But thank you so much for listening if you're you're listening or watching. And yeah, yeah, see you on the internet. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, we'll link to all of your links, all of your socials in the show notes. But for now, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time, effort, and love to produce, and I deeply value every review and every piece of feedback that you share.